Hi, and welcome to the Productize Podcast. If you haven't subscribed already, you can find the Productize Podcast from your favorite podcast player app, and you can subscribe from there. This is our show where we talk with productizers and innovators and cover the stories behind great product experiences and why it matters to innovators and makers like you. All right. So the Productize podcast is produced by Productize, a series of interviews with product innovators, successful makers, and entrepreneurs. We hope that those who listen to the ideas on the show are inspired to action. For show notes and additional resources related to today's podcast, visit us at productize.medium.com. So this is the fourth episode of season eight of the Productize podcast. And this is the podcast that I'm really, really proud of um, because, as you know, our mission is to inspire people to impactful action. Um, and my name is, is André Marquis. I'm your host today. And I'm talking with an inspiring, super inspiring scientist, Joanna Paiva. Uh, let me just introduce you to, you know, give you a, a quick bio of Joanna. She's uh, the inventor and founder of the technology behind the startup ILOF, Intelligent Lab on Fiber, uh, which is a Portuguese and UK-based startup that is using photonics and artificial intelligence that helps to accelerate and, and scale clinical trials through the development of novel tools for patient satisfaction. She's also the inventor of several patents, a scientist with over 30 publications, an assistant auxiliary professor in biophysics at the University of Porto, and a photonics and biomedical engineer specialized in biophysics, data science, and artificial intelligence. She is an award-winning AI enthusiast and a regular lecturer at um, several photonics conferences in the US and in Europe. And Joanna is currently the CEO at ILOF and was nominated as uh, a 30 under 30 personality in Europe in the science and healthcare category by Forbes, has a future leader by Lorente Cuenca, Spanish consulting company, finalist of the Women Leadership and Entrepreneurship Award by European Institute of Innovation and Technology in 2020, and winner of the 2021 Women Entrepreneurship Award by Catholica Lisbon School of Business and Economics, where I also teach. So it's a great pleasure to have you today with us, Joanna. Thank you. Hi. Hi, Hi there. Hi, great. Uh, everyone. <laughs> Hopefully. So, yeah. <laughs> so where where are you today? I, I know that you are in a not a startup, not a podcast studio. That's for sure. Where are no, you joining no. us from today? <laughs> yeah. So actually, uh, so thank you uh, for the introduction, Andre, and thank you all for uh, being here. And uh, it's very nice to um, to share my experience. Uh, so actually, today I'm uh, almost finishing my classes. So I'm uh, talking uh, through um, a classroom here at ICPAS, uh, the Institute of Biomedical um, Sciences of El Salazar uh, that belongs to the University of Porto. So I finished um, uh, so a, a class, uh, a, a class of uh, biophysics uh, to the first year, the first the fresh mates of. <laughs> this year uh, in um, veterinary medicine. So it's quite a challenge <laughs> uh, teaching uh, physics and mathematics. And yeah, so I'm joining here from here today. All right, directly from the university to the podcast. I think this is a first <laughs> for us, <laughs> maybe not yeah. for you. So you are the CTO and co-founder of ILOF. Can you tell us the story of how you started the company? Yes, of course. So my story starts in the academia, as uh, I would think the majority of uh, the spin-outs and startups uh, around uh, the country here in Portugal. So I believe that all or the majority of them, they come from bright ideas and uh, that uh, are jump off from the academia, the, the academia to the market. Um, I was, I am a biomedical engineer, um, so I did um, a master's degree and, a, and, a, and 
undergraduate degree in, in biomedical engineer. Um, so I was always passionate about trying to uh, record and collect biosignals from the human body and try to transformate those signals using artificial intelligence and signal processing methods into meaningful information that could be useful for physicians and clinicians. Um, and also to understand our body and our health state and how we can change it uh, depending on uh, drugs, depending on our behavior and so on. So I started with technologies related with the uh, EEG that is reading the, our brain signals and for example, uh, developing algorithms in order to predict um, attention lapses um, that could be useful for, um, so for example, drivers uh, that uh, like uh, that are exposed to the environment uh, very that uh, an accident or a, a lapse of attention could be uh, very uh, hazard uh, for its professions and. Um, and also to understand the neural networks behind attention and so on. So, uh, and I was able to do that uh, in order also to improve, for example, attention mechanisms in uh, children with attention problems. Um, then I, I jump off for other types of signals like uh, the ECG, that is the signal from our, uh, from our heart. Um, and predict uh, cardiovascular risk and so on, and also uh, use our trace uh, of the ECG morphology as a biometric signature in order to identify them. But then I was passionate about photonics and lights. So photonics is the usage of lights. So mm -hmm. because because you you are actually a physics. Um, yeah. You have a, a PhD. Yeah. In physics, correct? Yeah, exactly. So, so that's when your I, technical background. Yes. Um, so my technical background, it started with uh, machine learning, signal processing. But then I decided to do a PhD in physics. But it was because I was also passionate about the light, application of light in technology. And now in specific in healthcare and uh, for, uh, for medicine. Um, so when I entered this field, um, so uh, for example, um, simple example of photonics is uh, uh, sensors uh, based on optical fibers, optical fibers that can be used for internet connection, that same opti optical fibers uh, that are able to measure uh, glucoses in, in the blood. So this is the example of application of photonics technologies in healthcare. Uh, so uh, when I, so during my PhD, I was able to develop a new technology that uh, um, was based on uh, um, optical fibers, artificial intelligence, and uh, blood analysis using biomarkers. So uh, at the time that I started, uh, so uh, identifying patterns of biomarkers and even identifying a pattern um, of our health states using blood derived samples, it was very difficult and time consuming and also very expensive because it, it uh, so all the techniques used um, depend, uh, so were dependent on um, uh, chemical compounds very expensive. So I decided to use only the light that interacts with the blood and it's scattered radiation, so it's pattern and every, every one of us has a specific Just for, pattern. For, for people kind of trying to understand what is scattered okay. radiation, so the photons, so I'm, I'm trying to, to kind <laughs> of explain this to my six-year-old yes. son, right? Uh, well, probably that's, that'll be too hard. But anyways, I'll, I'll, try, I'll try my best. So the light goes into the blood cells, like, you know, the red cells and all those kind of cells. Mm -hmm. And then what happens? It, it scatters according to specific patterns, according mm -hmm. to specific, yes. you know, the It's more or less, yeah. Um, so actually, we are not uh, analyzing the whole blood. 
we mm -hmm. are analyzing a part of the blood, uh, so the part which that is? doesn't have the cells, which okay. is plasma or serum. Plasma. Okay. So it's the the usual uh, element of the blood that, uh, in a clinical setting, physicians uh, usually analyze or. Uh, so, so current uh, clinical uh, analysis are run always in serum or plasma. And yes, so we shine a, a laser, but this laser uh, is uh, guided through an optical fiber. And we have a proprietary uh, lens that focus that light on the uh, structures, peptides, metabolites, proteins that are found in the in the plasma or the serum. And depending on uh, if, for example, a person uh, suffers from Alzheimer and uh, another person that is completely healthy. Um, so uh, there are alterations on these small molecules uh, that uh, scatter the light in different ways. And by analyzing the pattern scattered back uh, by the molecules, we can differentiate uh, so the, the person that we are uh, dealing with uh, using only this pattern uh, collected by the sample uh, that they that was collected by from the patient. Right, and that process has lots of advantages because it's faster. It's yeah, cheaper, so, I guess, than yeah, normal exactly. analysis. Mm -hmm. So basically, we we don't use any antibody. So any chemical compound that is uh, targeted for any disease in specific. So it is fast because it, uh, we have a prediction of about 30 seconds. Um, wow. It involves machine learning. So basically we have uh, a huge data set uh, of samples uh, stored in our, um, in our laboratory. Uh, where we teach our uh, AI models uh, to be able to learn what is the pattern, for example, of Alzheimer patients and what is the pattern of healthy controls um, in order for the model to be ready to in a completely blind sample of a new, sam of a new subject that's came's, uh, that came into the hospital or uh, into the clinical setting um, to be able to uh, predict uh, at which group uh, he belongs. Um, so, and we can run the sample uh, using different models. For example, we are creating a model for Alzheimer's, uh, but we can create a model, for example, for predict predicting the evolution of a disease. Like for example, in COVID-19, we developed mm -hmm. a model that uh, we were able to, to uh, predict if the person at the time of the diagnose would evolve for the ICU or not. Um, so using the same hardware, um, but only changing the type of model, uh, AI model that we are applying to the pattern that's uh, collected in the sample. Okay, very well. Wow. Um... I guess we always try to understand where people, you know, they started with this, with their seminal ideas, but I, I, I invite you to go a little bit, you know, deeper than that, or, uh, you know, even um, to your younger self, maybe. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm curious, at what age did you become interested in technology? Uh, how, how was your, you know, how did you get into this uh, i remember having like eight years old and my father uh bought uh, so our first computer and i was very enthusiastic about that <laughs> so okay. i was uh, waiting for in the window and uh, so always asking to my mother so uh, when father, when the dad is coming up with computer in order to okay. and yes yes so I, I was all always passionate about uh, technology uh, mostly not uh, like for example uh, programming or something but try to use the technology for a specific application and uh, uh, it was in my last year. Uh, of the high school where I uh, 
definitely decided that uh, so biomedical engineering or uh, some kind of applied engineering would be my uh, uh, so my my precious job because mm -hmm. um, uh, so I was involved in a, in a discipline called um, general project or something okay. and um, uh, I I was always fascinated uh, 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 I was al always uh, um, very excited about uh, the 3D organs, artificial organs development, and uh, um, I began a project. Uh, so, in, in order to understand what was the state of the art of this technology at the time, when you were and, like sixteen or seventeen. Yes, 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 and okay. so um, like a science fair project. Exactly. Kind of. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I I had the first, first connections with the INEV, that is the biomedical institute here uh, in Porto, mm -hmm. and uh, where I was able to um, change some ideas and understand how was the um, the stage of their in. So you you research. had the chance to to work with real scientists at yes. a very young age. Yeah. Yes. Because yes. Yeah, because I guess you you you. You went out and you just asked them, right? And they, yes, oh, yes, yes, she's yes. a kid, but that's fine. Let's answer. <laughs> no, but it was very, very um, uh, interesting because uh, so the I would say the the mentor at the time mm -hmm. was um, uh, a girl that now it's a doctor was uh, finishing uh, her PhD, and mm -hmm. when I um, created the startup, uh, we were. Uh, trying to uh, have a place in order to incubate our the company. And, oh, she's uh, also she's a founder with you. No, no, no. She she's not a founder, but I met her again in oh. the same department where our startup is incubated, and now she's kind of not, and again one of my uh, female mentors uh, at uh, so in the present Whoa. so it was uh, when i was 16 years old and it was it is right now again <laughs> so it's quite in interesting it is wow mm -hmm. that's a really interesting story so um looking back would you change anything about your decision did you ever consider any career paths or are you happy with what you've done yeah in so... terms of studies because you you went on to study um biomedical engineering mm -hmm. right and then yes yes and then you went on to do a phd and from what i understand you managed to do your phd and work at the same time which i guess is super hard to do how did you do that uh yeah so basically during <laughs> oh my... yeah yeah i just do that <laughs> that was <easy>. yeah. <laughs> during my final year of the phd where you are supposed to be focused on um finishing some papers and writing your thesis so i was creating the startup and um i was um engaged with a with a founding round and mm. uh, that is like super super uh uh, overwhelming so the each funding run for a, from a startup uh, so uh, independently if it is a pre-seed or seed round it's quite um, it's very very difficult and right. especially if you're you... starting for the first time right you yes, have to, exactly. to learn everything is new everything comes yeah for the first so time. what what i believe that but again uh, i've already passed through it and uh, i and i I learned a lot, uh, and I think that uh, the things that I would change it was the translation of uh, and the interaction between academia and markets and academia and startups and so on, um, because um, there there is a lot of there is there is a lot of things to do there, but uh, it doesn't depend on me. But of course that I could I could I could did some some things uh, differently on that sense so what do you actually enjoy the most about you know working at a startup environment what do you think there's there's a, a, an effective advantage for a, a deep tech founder like you um so 
it of course uh, it has pros and cons uh, as all of the, the options that you you have i think that uh, for me uh, the most important pros that uh, uh, also make me passionate about this is the possibility of having new ideas every day and uh, having the possibility of implement them um, because if you are in a corporate you you have a huge pipeline to have your ideas uh, so ideas developed and approved in some way and mm -hmm. uh, here you're, you're kind of the boss you can say yeah i'm doing this i'm not doing that <laughs> yeah yeah and not and not that actually so uh, it's more that that you can um you can you you are uh, you are supposed to have ideas and you innovate in order to have so uh, a degree competitive of competitive advantage. yes right. competitiveness yeah, uh, in regarding the other ones that mm -hmm. are in your um, competitor uh, analysis so if right, not right. you 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 will die and absolutely uh, that, yeah. It's in a startup, you, you can run fast if you want, right? You you should run fast, like you're saying. And in a mm -hmm. corporate environment, it's like, hey, what are you doing? Running so fast. Yeah. Calm down, right? And and even do do things that are like, okay, in a corporate, they, okay, that is not possible at all. But uh, in a startup, so, okay, let's, let's try and see. Yeah, I think that it's that spirit that uh, I like. So startup, you run faster. Corporate environment, you have to kind of run slower, and and they don't let you run everywhere, right? You have to kind of follow a specific track. So um, that's a, maybe a great segue to to ask you uh, about the the recipe to be one of one of those thirty under thirty in Forbes, and how did it happen? And what kind of doors does that open? I really have no idea. Um, how this, how is, you know, how, yeah, just tell me about it. How is that changing your, your life, really? Yeah, so first of all, it was a, a huge nomination. So I was very um, honored uh, for, for that uh, recognition. Um, I think that what contributed the most uh, was the, the disruptive the disruptive nature of the, the solution that I created because um, so I love solution it's not a common one uh, this mm -hmm. is uh, so if you go um, through all the state of the art and scientific uh, papers and uh, literature so actually it, uh, it is even it's proprietary so it's not uh, you cannot see it um, uh, everywhere uh, so it's an out-of-the-box approach um, and also that cover more uh, that covers more than a single different area so it covers biology physics mathematics engineering artificial intelligence uh, photonics and mm -hmm. um, most of all I think that because of uh, uh, the first application that uh, it, it so the first application that was publicly announced to this uh, technology, despite it was not the first application that uh, where it was proved uh, because it was in cancer. Uh, so the fact that it was uh, pub so publicly announced that it would be in Alzheimer's disease. So mm -hmm. I think that uh, it, uh, it, um, uh, it contributed for the nomination because after 14 years of research, more than, more than 400 clinical trials, we have one drug approved in the United States, but there is a lot of controversy. And uh, so something- and it, Sorry, you, you're talking about the Alzheimer drug. Yeah, yeah. Which, which was approved for a, a Portuguese company, if I'm not mistaken, correct? No, it or, was a no, no, no. It was approved a, in, the, in US, in US, in the US for yes, a, 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 US. A, a US pharma company. Yes, 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 for a pharma company, yes, uh, international pharma company. So 
Uh, and what 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 is the controversy about it? Um, so they believe that uh, the clinical trials, uh, the data is not enough, or the data it's not robust, and uh, so yeah, it's okay. So there is still controversy around it. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. So I think that considering that something must be done to change uh, the applied pipelines to do that. So to do, to do drug discovery and to run clinical trials in Alzheimer's disease. And that uh, requires the development and the enrollment of new uh, and disruptive tools. Um, that altered the, a highly robust validation um, that can invert this faith. So I think that it was because of these things that uh, I was nominated for that. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, but basically because of the disruptive part of the technology and uh, each uh, the, the broadness of areas that could be applied to because it could be applied to diseases, it could be applied to um, synthetic uh, materials. Uh, so in order to see the, the, pure, the pureness of uh, a specific material, so there is a lot of things that could be done. Okay. So how do you guys, and, and getting a little bit more into the product, how do you use AI to build a cloud-based library of disease biomarkers and biological profiles. What it, where is the AI coming in? Mm -hmm. uh, so as I was explaining in the beginning, so we capture the signature of uh, the optical signature of small molecules in the complex fluids. But uh, at the naked eye, so these are uh, noisy patterns. So we cannot read them or we can at least make some measurements in terms of so it's, the, it's it's very difficult for humans yeah, to understand exactly. and yeah, extrapolate yeah. something so it's a spectrum uh so you can analyze it in an electrical way so like for example in a frequency domain time domain so this is why we extract uh, more than 100 attributes about this signal, but uh, it's impossible for you to make a decision. So this is why we use artificial intelligence to do decisions for us, <laughs> of course. Of course, of course, but you have to train the, you exactly. have to train the, right? You have mm -hmm. to train the, the algorithm. So um, when you were starting, and I guess you were starting from, you know, very few data points or you have to have some kind of human expertise to teach the computer how to do mm -hmm. that. How, how what, what was your approach to, mm -hmm. you know, teach the computer how to do that? Mm -hmm. So how, that is a very interesting question. So, uh, and uh, one thing that I have to add is that we use the features from our optical fingerprint, but we also combine metadata that we collect from that are is available from electronic health records, like for example, age, sex, uh, um, com com comorbidities of the patient that could be useful in order to predict something or detect something. So our ground truth that is basically the label in order to teach uh, the, the model. It's always uh, the diagnosis method that is considered the gold standard for the disease. So for example, in Alzheimer's, um, uh, so the gold standard method that is considered in a broadly manner, it's uh, the PET scan or um, uh, so dosing uh, some proteins in um, the CSF uh, liquid. So in the liquid, doing a lumbar puncture and taking that uh, liquid, cerebrospinal liquid, and do uh, some measurements of specific proteins. So basically we collect, we have access to samples uh, from patients that did, uh, that have that, diagnosed, uh, confirmed with the gold standard. And we teach the classifier uh, 
to differentiate them based on that pattern. And um, for other diseases, so for example, regarding COVID-19, um, so for differentiating COVID-19 from other viruses, it's the PCR, for example. Uh, in the case of uh, uh, the evolution of the disease, so we had to uh, have a first uh, study where we waited like two weeks um, for the evolution of the patient. So we collected at uh, the um, so the urgency department the first contact we collected the blood, and then uh, we um, uh, we. Uh, so the doctor did uh, uh, so uh, provide us the label two weeks after if uh, the patient went to the ICU or not, and uh, that was the basis how to, we trained uh, the model for the prediction, for example. Mm -hmm. And and using that that metadata that you were talking about, doesn't it introduce some bias to the to the process? Um, of course, uh, this is why we, for example, uh, always uh, so do um, a so do a specific model isolated using only only the metadata, uh, and uh, so compare the performance of that model and co compare the performance of a model using our optical information plus the metadata. A specific case is the Alzheimer, uh, because what happens is if you uh, use only age and sex, you can mm -hmm. distinguish Alzheimer patients because they are older usually. Right, but exactly. It's not, <laughs> but they, it's not actually um, uh, so. Uh, uh, age is right. not there is there is not necessarily a causality, right? Exactly. There is correlation. It's a, it's a, correlation a, a is not causation. Yeah. It's a confounding factor. So what right. we do is that we um, uh, deal with uh, uh, age matching data sets where the age it's not a bias in order to make sure that our algorithm is seeing precisely the so the difference. Uh, among the, the proteins and the peptides and not the age and other okay. confounding factors as well. Yeah, I, I'm trusting your process. I'm just making the question. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I'm but uh, to these it. questions are very interesting and very important when we are looking to different systems to do um, pre-screening, screening of patients uh, where mm -hmm. you have a lot of metadata there are a lot of examples that use that that, that uh, type of data, but they do not care or care about the confounding factors uh, that right. are, are not actually related with the disease. So wh why did you focus on Alzheimer's first? And do you have any plans to start research into other diseases? And I understand, of course, COVID-19, because that's, you know, that's a very tactical uh, approach. But uh, if so, which ones? Uh, so we found, uh, we started with Alzheimer's because as I said, um, so uh, it's a lot of years and uh, money and also um, discomfort from the patients that we have been through in all of these 14 years of research. Because in a clinical trial, um, in 100 patients that are recruited, 90 leave the trial because of uh, having to make uh, the PET scan because PET scan machines are only available available in big cities and the lumbar puncture it's like putting a big needle and has a lot of risks uh, regarding the patient. So what happens is that in 100 only 10 stay and uh, only two uh, have uh, the right fit so have the right protein um, that is the target that uh, is the target uh, selected for the, uh, the 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 medicine so the 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 drug that is being developed or actually is to have real real alzheimer and the, uh, the other eight have other types of dementia mm -hmm. so uh, 
this is a lot of costs for the pharma industry and this is a lot of pain for the patients as well because uh, so basically they are recruited and they end up on so being directly uh, submitted to a lumbar puncture it's the same in clinical settings in hospitals even here in portugal so uh, usually the diagnosis is is the simple the simplest one that is uh, using uh, pen and, te and cognitive tests or uh, clinical evaluation um, mm -hmm. because doing PET scans is very expensive for the national uh, security, uh, um, health system. Health system. Uh, thanks. <laughs> and also sure. um, it is painful for the patient. So there is no way of having like a clue of a a patient has Alzheimer's or not. So if we have a pre-screening tool that has that provides the probability of actually you you can have Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. um, so you probably physicians would be much more uh, uh, um, so hands up hands hands on uh to do pet scans or lumbar punctures because at least they have a confirmation and uh, costs would be reduced also for the pharma industries and even now that is a drug approved we will have a problem because all the people that have dementia they have the right to uh, know or to ask to the primary care um that they are a candidate for the drug so our problem now is uh, how to know if they are candidate or not so uh, it is it is impossible to pursue with all these candidates that have dementia to the pet scans or lumbar puncture to confirm mm -hmm. so it must have we we need some kind of pre-screening tool a few know that allows to uh, remove some that do not have uh, such high percentage of having Alzheimer's uh, for then the other ones to be really uh, be submitted to a confirmatory analysis. So this is why we, we, we were and we are in Alzheimer's disease. However, we are exploring other diseases because actually uh, our validation proof was always was uh, began with the uh, digestive cancer so we were able to prove that we can differentiate through some uh, small, small small structures that are found in um, the bloodstream that we can predict uh, if a patient would metastasize uh, uh, so quickly than other so in the digestive cancer field so we are planning to go for a the oncology area so we are not uh, not focused only on alzheimer's but we are uh, spreading out for another other area as the cancer field all right so oncology is on the pipeline yeah. um right so what kind of advices would you give to you know, new biotech or deep tech startup founders, specifically in the med tech or medical devices uh, space, how to get funding, where to look for it, um, any advices? Um, so having a med tech, it's really, really uh, difficult because you have the things about the certification path. Um, you have to certify your your company. You have to certify your medical devices. I think that one uh, one tip is to try to have a route uh, to have some revenue before uh, so ending uh, your pipeline of certifications because uh, that could be hard. Um, so, for example, having um, so try try to select some beachheaded market that don't don't need you to certify a device or something, and mm -hmm. then uh, maintain your long term uh, objective that is certify your uh, products, um, but at least you have some revenue from the first end. 
Uh, which which was which was your case, right? You didn't have any revenue for for a while. Yeah, so we when, have when you yeah, got yeah. venture. Yeah, we have we have uh, uh, investments. Uh, we have venture capital money, uh, but uh, of course that venture capital also uh, um, requires revenue because it's uh, one of the criteria, one of the checkboxes. Uh, that uh, it's required uh, when you are um, going on from uh, series to series. Of course, in pre-seed, it's not required. In series, in, in pre-seed, it's not required. In seed, it's not required or more or less required. In uh, series A, in, it's in deep, required. In deep tech, right? In deep tech, yeah. in this space, right? Yeah, in this space, uh, because yeah. in other spaces, it's completely different. It's uh, different, yeah. <laughs> so, what kind of? Um, so, you 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 told me you are you are uh, giving classes to veterinary uh, medical students. Um, are you also are you also using ILOF in the veterinary space and not just in the human medical space? No, just in the human space. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Why, why, why is that? Because um, you know any any specific reason? No, because uh, another thing in startup you have to focus as well. So mm-hmm. you have to have like a plenty of. Uh, options that you should evaluate but at the same time you have to focus in some in some way so there is a lot of opportunities but you have to have you have to do a market analysis and a, a strate- strategic uh, um, decision overview. and right yeah yeah and, and, <laughs> and, and uh, keep the decision yeah, yeah. so <laughs> which which venture capital um which venture capital uh, is supporting you right now. I know that you are closing uh, a new round. Is that round closed already? Are you are you still in in the the making? Uh, yes. So we are in a, a middle of a closing of a round. So I can disclose the the um, so the, the investors that supported us uh, till until today. Yeah, until today, but I cannot disclose the ones that are involved in this new round, of All course. Right. Yeah, okay, uh, just tell us round. about what yeah, you can tell so, us. Um, so basically, uh, we have done a first investment from the European Union um, mm-hmm. of 2 million euros. We were fortunate about that. And what, then, what, what kind of investment was that? Uh, do you know the name of the program? that? Ah, yes, in? yes, uh, it was the EIT Health. Is through okay. EIT Health. And European then, innovation. Yes, yes. And then um, uh, Mayfield and Microsoft also joined uh, us mm-hmm. with uh, with an investment of $1 million. So it's, it was quite, um, um, so it's quite, it was quite an excitement for us because it's in terms of technology, and also the scaling of the platform, uh, it it gave us uh, a big a big opportunity, and uh, we scaled a lot since they are with us. Great. So that's uh, you know from what you're saying, good news are very close to be announced. So that's really great. Um, so what kind of skills are you looking for? in the people that you are working uh, with I love today and the people that you are recruiting to the company are any specific roles that you're kind of searching for right now? So our team, it's a mix of engineers, uh, biomedical engineers, but the biomedical engineers that are working on I love are mostly working on like data science and machine learning. Uh, physics engineers with uh, expertise on optics and photonics. Uh, software. How, how difficult is is to find people with that kind of expertise? <laughs> so actually, so these people came from the project. So came from uh, with me. <laughs> they were. Right, so they involved. they were also doing the PhDs at the university. Yeah. So were yeah. Part for of example, the same research team. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I was doing my PhD, but I was supervising the master's degree of them. And, right. And uh, I was uh, very happy to invite them to be with me on board. Um, so, yeah, but it's very difficult. Uh, but uh, there are there are profiles on optical fiber sensing, um, so it's not so difficult in that sense. Uh, I think that it's more difficult to recruit software engineers, actually. Um, yeah, so we have cloud engineers as well. Uh, we have what, biologists. What, 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 what kind of software engineers are you looking for? What kind of programming languages are you guys using? Just in case some software engineer out there listens to this <laughs> and says, oh, I really want to work on the medical space or the biotech space. Uh, what kind of profiles are you looking at? Right yeah, now? so... Uh, regardless of the program programming languages, we are looking for people that uh, help us on um, automatizing the our AI pipelines, uh, trying to uh, link all these bunch of data that we receive from our partners. So we receive metadata, we receive uh, data from other platforms, optical platforms that could be combined with ours. Um, so uh, people that uh, also uh, can um, uh, can be able to work with IoT infrastructures. Uh, so because we have uh, our cloud infrastructure have to be connected and have to uh, communicate with uh, our sensors and our device. Um, everything related with databases and data protection. So it's the kind of profiles that we are working with. All right, very well. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you were you were also talking about data engineers and machine learning experts and other kind of profiles, right? And the biologists as well. Biologists. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Do you need biologists? I need biologists. <laughs> okay. For for what exactly? Uh, for preparing um, the samples that uh, mm -hmm. we are, uh, we will be acquiring for training the algorithms, for right. selecting the best samples uh, that would be uh, based on the best diagnosis criteria for a disease, for preparing um, so peptides based uh, solutions and doing calibrations and uh, centrifugations and so and right yeah. so, so all, all the biological lab work how many yes. people do you have in the company today yes so we are almost uh, 20 we are 25 more or less yes okay <laughs> and it, tell us just a little bit about the vision uh, mm -hmm. So obviously, if I ask you, have you already achieved what you wanted, uh, or do do you really have this bold plan for the future that you want to develop for the company? Yeah, of course that. Uh, yeah, I don't. I didn't achieve yet uh, the plan. Of course. Uh, so the goal is to have really a huge database of uh, this new optical signature. Uh, and the capability of having uh, it uh, converted for uh, to other uh, types of data, even metadata, so simple data that characterizes an individual, but also its correlation with the different particles, molecules, proteins, and so on. So it's like building a library uh of that could explain diseases and our health state um using optical signals and uh, having this signal as like the mona lisa of the signals because it's simple it's noisy but it's uh, very uh, low cost to to acquire okay and that that will be <laughs> Hopefully, one of the, the, you know, who knows, a unicorn or at least a very, very big, big company. <laughs> Let's see. Let's see. Are you are you aiming that high? Especially, I guess, you know, with this new rounds that you're raising, um, um, are are you going international, expanding outside of, you know, maybe Europe even? 
we we already consider us as an international company because we have people working with us that are not mm -hmm. Portuguese and works uh, within other uh, points of the the, the, the world. world. Yeah. yeah. So actually, we are already expanded. <laughs> okay. So what kind of recommendations for young entrepreneurs uh, who want to start their business in biotech or deep tech do you have? And, you know, I guess, yeah, I, any any entrepreneur that is kind of looking at this space or is kind of already working, maybe, yeah, maybe your previous self. So if you could talk to Joanna five years ago when you're still kind of thinking about this on your PhD, what? What kind of recommendation would you give it? Would you give yourself? <laughs> yeah. So assuming that the, the most of uh, the so uh, almost entrepreneurs, uh, so they came they came from the academia. I think that is not not to be afraid of uh, exposing ideas, and there is a lot of initiatives now, like uh, from the EIT. Uh, from other communities like uh, doing pitches about their ideas and, uh, and don't be uh, afraid or um, limited by the hierarchy that you have, like for example in academia or if you are developing a PhD or a master's or so on, because if you have an idea, uh, and it could not it could even not be related with your what you are you are working with so it's you that you are having the idea so don't be afraid and speak out and go to that initiatives because there are people that can help you and uh, yeah so i think that it's basically my my thought on thanks that. thank you Thank you so much, Joanna. Uh, it was really great having you. Uh, yeah, if you're still uh, with us, thank you for joining us at Productize Podcast. If you enjoyed your stay, give us your review on Apple Podcast and share this episode with friends and colleagues. If you have show notes um, that you want to read and more episodes, you can always check our medium, productize.medium.com or join our community. We will share the links also on the chat and on the, the podcast description. Thank you so much, Joanna. Have a great day.